From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. In the studio today is Dr. David Amberg. He's the Vice President for Research at Upstate, and he's also a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. You gave a talk recently to the faculty about the state of research on campus, and one of the things you looked at was research expenditures, and you said that after four or five years of decline, expenditures are up 10%. What does that mean, and why is it positive? Well, research expenditures are one of the easiest ways to track how well your faculty are doing and at obtaining um, funding for, to carry out their research programs. And for us, much of that funding is actually coming from federal agencies, the NIH and the Department of Defense, for example. NIH being the National, National Institute of Health. National Institute of Health, exactly. Okay. And so it's an easy way to track the success. Of course, you know, uh, biomedical research is an expensive endeavor, and so our faculty have to work hard and convince uh, through a peer review process, that their research is value, you know, valuable enough to fund. At, uh, and, of course, those dollars are spent in sort of two ways, what the faculty member can spend and then what the university receives in indirect costs or what are called facilities and uh, fees that we, we obtain. And so the research expenditures are some of those two sort of pots of money. The university uh, has to support that research, keep the lights on is the way we express it, and so that's where the indirect costs come in. And so actually we've seen a, a double-digit growth in our research expenditures for two straight years, and that that vector seems to be moving for into the third straight year after a prior four or five years of pretty dramatic reductions. And uh, that double-digit growth, if it sustains through this year, means that we'll reach probably close to $40 million in research expenditures in the coming year, which would put us at the high water mark when we had a doubling of the NIH budget and, of course, the era stimulus package during Obama's years. Since that time, funding at the NIH has actually declined in real dollars when corrected for inflation. And so this is a really quite remarkable achievement of our faculty that in that environment to be able to reverse that downward trend and get us back to where we were five years ago. It's That's really going to be good for impressive. the um, community too. Yeah, so if we've tried to calculate what the actual um, economic impact of our research enterprise is. So those are the $40 million in expenditures, but there's a huge amount of support behind uh, that research that the university invests in as well. For about every dollar in support we receive to carry out research here, we spend about another dollar. And then there's a number of other uh, staff that uh, indirectly support that effort. And the impact, we think, to the regional economy, just to the research enterprise of Upstate, is probably a couple hundred million dollars. Wow. Okay. Well, that's also got to um, help you attract other scientists. Yeah. So success, of course, uh, everyone looks at this, and it, it positively affects the uh, reputation of the universe, uh, of the university in general, uh, not just the research enterprise, but the whole university. It helps us track teaching faculty, helps us track clinicians, as well as, as, well as researchers. Uh, and there's other aspects that we've been investing in at Upstate that have helped us recruit some really world-class people recently. Um, for example, we have strong um, research cores that have state-of-the-art instrumentation. Been quite a bit of investment by the university 
uh, in giving us really great core facilities that are fairly unique for a university of our size, which is fairly small when you compare us to a Texas A&M and a John Hopkins, for example. Well, let's talk about the main research strengths here at Upstate. Um, what areas are you seeing some interesting research in? Well, we've had traditionally uh, quite strong uh, basic and translational cancer research and a number of very interesting things that are going on in, in that arena. And that's, of course, one of our areas of strategic uh, investment that came out of the recent uh, strategic plan as well. Stuart Lowe in biochemistry has some really interesting results where he can reactivate a protein called P53. And P53 is considered the guardian of the genome. Mm -hmm. So when a cell starts to walk down a cancer pathway, P53 is turned on to kill the cell. So it doesn't go further down that pathway. So it doesn't turn into cancer. So it doesn't turn into oh. cancer. But when P53 becomes mutated, um, that then the cancer will progress. And it's the most common mutated gene in cancer. And what Stewart has found is he's found a way to reactivate that mutated P53 yeah. um, to actually then kill the, that cancerous cell. And so that's a perfect example of how Stewart was working on a very basic element of the P53, which is it binds a cofactor called zinc, and it needs just the exact right amount of zinc to fold properly. And he can manipulate that to get a mutant form to refold and then kill those cancer cells. And that's just one example of many here of basic research that's finding a translational um, component to it that uh, is holding quite good promise that it's going to make it to the clinic someday and, and help patients. Neat. And uh, neurosciences? You know, yep, neuroscience is a very strong area for us. About five years ago, we opened this just beautiful facility, the new neuroscience research building. And that building was really designed uh, to have sort of open lab spaces. And if you go to the fourth floor of that building, it's stunning. It's three city blocks long of open laboratory space. And the idea is to get all of our neuroscientists from various departments, neuroscience and physiology, ophthalmology, psychiatry, neurology, neurosurgery, get them all together so that they start interacting, collaborating with each other, sharing ideas. And that model is really working. It's also really helping us to recruit some just really world-class people. So people may be aware that we just hired a new dean of our College of Medicine, uh, Julio Licinio. Dr. Licinio and his wife, uh, Molly Wong, are really world-class uh, psychiatric researchers working in depression and metabolic disease. And just recently, we have joining our faculty from the University of Chicago, Chun Yu Liu, is a new Empire Scholar. He's a very uh, world-renowned psychiatric geneticist and joins an already strong uh, psychiatric genetics group within uh, psychiatry that includes Steve Ferrone, who's considered by Thomson Reuters as one of the top 100 scientists in the world. So having that facility, having that concentration, those shared resources and that collaborative environment is really helping us to recruit some great, great folks. And so neuroscience, both clinically as well as research-wise, is identified in the strategic plan as an area for continued investment and focus. Another area uh, is the Center for Global Health and Translational Science. And oh. this group was founded about five years ago and is currently uh, headed up by Dr. Mark, 
Mark Paul Hemus, who's uh, in, in our uh, Department of Medicine, the Infectious Disease Group. And that group over the, the last five years has just grown, and the amount of research expenditures they brought in have been partly responsible for a 500% increase in our clinical research expenditures, which is tremendous over three years to have a five-fold increase in clinical research here, which has been a focus of my office and the university. But this group um, currently, in the last grant cycle, put out over $20 million in grant proposals uh, to the DOD, to the NIH, and uh, they'll undoubtedly succeed with some of those. They've moved us into some very interesting clinical trials, the dengue human infection models, that they have pioneered, the only group in the world thus far that's been tapped to do those. This is where we, we take healthy individuals who are volunteers and using a, an attenu what's called an attenuated dengue virus, we give them a very mild form of dengue. They get a mild fever, maybe a little eye pain. And that establishes a baseline that becomes a very rapid way to test new vaccines for dengue. And dengue is a huge impact on our warfighters that are overseas. But as you've probably seen in the news, this is nipping at our southern shores as well. Sure. There's other as related viruses. These are all called flaviviruses. The Zika virus has moved into southern this, this Florida. This is the group that's doing Zika vaccine trials too, right? Yeah. So two of the faculty in the center, Stephen Thomas and Chris Polino, are actually on the patent for the Zika vaccine and were um, very responsible when they were at the Army for uh, developing that vaccine. Wow. Well, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Upstate's Vice President for Research, Dr. David Amberg. Well, it wasn't uh, that long ago that Time Magazine had a cover with this microscopic picture, and it says, warning, we are not ready for the next pandemic, which is pretty scary, but is, it, is there some truth to it? Yeah, so I think there was there was much learned from the Ebola outbreak in Central Africa and then the Zika outbreak in Brazil. And the lesson was, we are not ready. We're not capable of responding quickly enough when there's an opportunity for pandemic. And this is not going to be, these aren't isolated rare instances. They're happening more and more. There's going to be more emerging dis uh, infectious disease uh, that we need to be worried about. Um, locally, you know, there's a huge outbreak of Lyme disease and a huge increase in tick populations, another area of focus for the Global Health Group. Um, and uh, we've been looking at this and trying to think about, well, okay, our university has a real strength in infectious disease research, vaccines around infectious disease. What do we need to build here so we can sort of be a one-stop shop for researchers and industry to really drive research and development through a continuum, a pipeline continuum from a possible medical solution to actually implementation of that medical solution. And there are many steps in that process, most of which we are now doing, field surveillance. We have sites in Thailand, Ecuador, and in Africa where we have people doing surveillance. They're sort of the front line looking at what is coming up what kind of emerging infectious disease uh, are happening. Anna Stewart in the uh, Global Health Group is currently in Ecuador and monitoring uh, what's going on down there. That informs possible uh, samples can be uh, collected there. For example, Zika-infected patients brought back to upstate for the basic research to try and develop, for example, a new vaccine. You then have to produce some amounts of those vaccine, and the university is looking at what it might be able to do 
for example, to build a facility that could produce uh, vaccines and immunotherapy agents, uh, medical solutions. Those vaccines then need to be tested in human subjects. And uh, phase one clinical trials or safety trials, you have to go to phase two and phase three trials. We all do, we do those here and we do those things well. So we have that component um, covered. And then we're actually doing the field work as well to take those vaccines out. Uh, we were recently awarded uh, to do Zika work for the Zika vaccine actually in Ecuador in the field to determine how well that vaccine works to protect individuals. So we're very mindful of what we could do to become part of a more rapid response to emerging infectious disease if we had all the capabilities in-house. And so we're very focused in building that expertise that here so that we can well, that's do that. exciting. Well, how are things going at the biotech accelerator? Oh, the biotech accelerator is going great. Uh, Dr. Corona, also chair of pathology, uh, has done a great job down there with Kathy Durden, the director of the Central New York Bioaccelerator. It's at full capacity as far as the uh, the uh, the spaces for we rent to various companies. These are uh, innovators, entrepreneurs that have ideas that they need help. Getting. Yeah, and so the whole idea of the bioaccelerator is to provide a support structure. Uh, a nurturing environment that brings innovators and entrepreneurs in and helps take their ideas to implementation. And Kathy Durden has been running a great series of programs that brings in everything. How do you do a business plan? How do you deal with your intellectual property and protect it? How do you find funders for your company? Uh, and then, of course, the space that helps you drive the science forward. And then we just completed a really beautiful vision of, of Dr. Corona's, which is the Innovation Center on the third floor, which includes a fully functional TED Talk theater, which is just a beautiful facility and a real resource for the region and is getting a lot of interest in running it for various events. Neat. And then there's a, there's a high-tech garage that has uh, equi equipment in there that can help. And a lot of the focus here is in medical device development. And then some sort of collide and cloister spaces, they call them uh, the pods, I think, that where sort of the first step of your company is to have a kind of a location to, you know, have your internet and your phones and a, a kind of a visible presence within the bioaccelerator. The idea is those develop and those companies develop in those spaces and then move down into one of the, the laboratory spaces in the second and first floors. Well, is this, would you say, a good time to enter the field um, of science? What would you say to high school kids that are um, into chemistry or biology? Would you advise that there's a future for them? I'd say absolutely. You know, I think I have one of the best jobs at the university because um, I get to see just wonderful things. And one of the greatest things about being a scientist and why I was drawn to it is if you're in the lab doing something, you're going to be the first person that knows something in the world, the first person to discover mm -hmm. something. And when I look back at when I began in science and, you know, a very powerful technique called PCR, polymer's chain reaction, had just been invented when I got into science. And it just revolutionized what we could do in science. But when you look at what we can do now with the instrumentation, the miniaturization, the high throughput, the large data analytics you can do now, um, it's just a very exciting time. Your ability to do things in science and have an impact is just tremendous because of the technology that's available. 
people may have heard of CRISPR-Cas9. We can now go in and actually edit genomes. CRISPR-Cas9, that's the way to do Yeah, that. it was a system, again, came out of basic research, looking at bacteria and how bacteria protect themselves from invading organisms. Uh, and it was realized by some very smart people at UCSF and MIT that this could be harnessed to actually go in and change genomes. In, in animals. And uh, of course, this has some controversy in, in applying it to humans. We have to be careful about the ethical considerations. But it's just one example of the many tools. Microscopy, the advances in microscopy are unreal. We have managed enlightened microscopy to go beyond what were thought the physical theoretical boundaries of resolution. And of course, when you want to look at things, being able to look at smaller and smaller and smaller things is extremely powerful. And that's very exciting. And we're bringing that technology in a new core to upstate. A new microscopy core is going to have a what's called a super resolution microscope that can get wow. resolution down for light microscopy to 30, 20 nanometers which the theoretical limit of light microscopy is around 400 nanometers. So it's a tenfold, 20-fold increase in wow. resolution over what the physics said we could do just five years ago. Wow. So it's a very exciting, exciting time to go into science. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being here. My guest has been uh, Dr. David Anberg. He's the Upstate's Vice President for Research. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air. <laughs>